It's beautiful, and, and God is doing incredibly powerful things. Um, I, I, as we launch into this new series in Jude, I wanna just kind of, kind of set it up. Uh, when I say the word Jude, that may have only one meaning for you, and that's the song, Hey Jude. I was asking Georgia, my 15-year-old, have, do you know the song, Hey Jude? She's like, no, I have no idea who that is. I'm like, do you know the Beatles? She's like, I think so. I'm like, Bieber? Yeah, okay, we're there. But uh, Hey Jude, 1968, was this hugely popular song, hugely popular song, and Paul McCartney wrote it, and uh, they played it, it hit the charts, and just stayed up there forever. And the song, I was watching it, just getting into the vibe of, of this series, and I was just like, I wanna hear that song again. And, and I began to watch it, and it was cool. It was like one of these 60s talk shows where they were, sing, they were playing there, and, and it was kinda you know, hippie kinda feeling, and, and all of these young people just kinda came up on stage, and they're all, they're all doing this. And the part about the song, you don't remember, hey Jude, don't be afraid. You know, that's not the part that we think about. When you think about the song, you think of, Na, 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 hey, see, I knew you'd want to sing it, and it, that goes on forever, and I was thinking about this series of messages called Hey Jude, and you may think, oh, it's one of those happy, just like the song, it's na, 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 that's not this book. Okay? The book of Jude is not just happy talk, and I'm all for being encouraged, and you will be encouraged in this series. But sometimes, hard truth. And this series actually begins today with, with an encouragement. The series will end, the end of the chapter, the end of the book, ends with encouragement and an exhortation and a, and a call, but in the middle, is tough words. At Keystone, we believe the Bible is our truth, and we don't duck or dodge tough words. We've actually discovered that I'm convinced that in ducking and dodging hard scriptural truths that are difficult and may even make you feel uncomfortable, you're robbing yourself of treasure. And you may be actually installing immaturity into your faith. So what I wanna to do today is I wanted to read the entire book of Jude together, okay? So let's get out our Bibles. If you have a Bible, I wanna see them. If you've got a phone, I want you to look it up right now. We're gonna do this all together. We're gonna to read the whole book of Jude. Now, good news, it's not as long as the book of Psalms, okay? It's one chapter. But I wanna know if you've got it, and I wanna know when you got it. So. Uh, do you have it? Just kind of wave at me, you know, let me see what you got, okay? Over here, up here, wave at me, do you got it? You got it, okay? Anybody, y'all got it in here? Y'all a little slower, okay? Up here, how we doing? Y'all rebellious, nobody's waving at me. Okay, how we doing? Yes, how we doing? Yes, okay, I think we're good enough. Now to do it, I've asked some friends to help me, help me read it, okay? So we're gonna read through the whole thing, we're gonna do it old school like a Bible study, I'm just gonna have different people read the scriptures. So uh, let's, uh, let's kick it off with Tristan. Tristan, go ahead and let's read this together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. 
Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for your faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Okay, Jason Mahon. Get in, uh, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Okay, Finley. But dear friends, remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks for helping us read scripture. Can we celebrate the reading of God's word together?
Some of you have never read a whole book of the Bible in one sitting, you just did. Um, let's pray together. Father, I pray you prepare our hearts as we launch this series of talks. You gave us this letter from Jude. You preserved it. It endured all kinds of seasons in Christian history and it remains intact, which means that God, as you say, your word will last forever. This is powerful for us and not to be ignored. So Father, I pray as we open these pages, I pray God over the next several weeks, as we explore and lean in and press in, God, why do you have this here for us? Father, I pray our faith would be built. For some of us, I pray our faith would be initiated I pray that we get saved in this series. I pray for new friends to awaken to your love. And Father, we pray that as we have just read some confusing scriptures at times, things that I don't understand, Father, I pray that you would show us why they're here and it would incredibly add to the flourishing of this house. In Jesus' name, amen, amen talked about the Beatles, talked about hard truth. It's not kumbaya, it's tough. As you heard it being read, as you read it along, as you read along with us, man, it's, it's some tough medicine at times. You know, one of the things I love about tough medicine, I think about sports. I'd love for you to raise your hand if you played sports, middle school or through high school or beyond. Raise your hand, I'd love to know if any of you played sports that long into, into your journey of athleticism over here? Okay, a lot of us, same thing at nine o'clock. A ton of us uh, have played sports, even into high school, some of us even beyond. And uh, the thing I love about sports is right around that age of middle school, you start to get coaches who will give you strong feedback. Now, now I know that at the little league level, you get good coaching and good strong feedback too, but I'm talking about Feedback that could, it's, could sound harsh. Uh, tough words, tough words. Now, I'm not talking about a coach yelling out of anger. I'm not talking about dog cussing you out. I'm talking about coaching you hard. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Just let me know, do you know what I'm talking about? Like a good coach that's trying to unlock the best of you. Um, I'm convinced that one of the problems with Western culture is that we are so afraid of the emotional internal bruise that you feel when you get strong feedback that we try to avoid that bruise. We try to avoid the pain of that feedback, the pain of confrontation, the pain of that communication when behind that bruise is growth. Is there anybody with me right now? Am I alone? Are y'all thinking that it's just participation trophies? Is that what we're thinking here? I didn't think we were that kind of church. But truthfully, feedback is a big deal. Here we see Jude in his letter to the church. He's giving strong feedback. He's giving strong feedback, but behind the feedback is a desire, a drive, a passion to win. They were surrounded by a culture that was was so ungodly, that's a word that Jude uses over and over and over, ungodly. What does ungodly mean? It means without God. It means without hope. It means ignoring his word. And Jude looked at that culture and he said, we can't be like that. 
We as a church can't be like that. And I want us to win. And the way you win is not just blending in with a culture that's rejecting God. The way that you win is you be who God has made you to be. So this book is all about winning, but sometimes to win, you need to hear from a strong coach. The book of Jude, strong words for a church that's going to win. So I see this biblical principle, Proverbs 27, six, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It means a friend that'll tell you the hard truth. That's a good friend. But on the other hand, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, right? Well, I wanna go back to Jude 1, and the good news is today is kind of like, it's kind of like two bookends of encouragement. It begins with encouragement, it ends with a charge, and in the middle is tough coaching. Today, we're gonna go to the front end and we're going to receive the encouragement because in order to win, you also receive good encouragement. If all you have is a negative coach, all they're doing is ever pointing out the negative, then you never know what to reinforce on the positive. So, so Jude is actually getting us ready for the tough coaching by reinforcing what it takes to win and the things that we're doing well. So check it out. We have already read this, but let's do it again. Jude 1.1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother to James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write you to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And what he's saying there is I sat down to write a letter to you and the Holy Spirit, I started out encouraging and I started out excited and the Holy Spirit took a hold of my hand and he compelled me to write tough coaching. And the Holy Spirit gave me wisdom and he compelled me that I can't just reinforce you, I have to correct you. I've gotta install some preventative medicine. And so today we kick off with the encouragement and if you wanna see some of the key ingredients to winning, you wanna be encouraged, start out by embracing your God-given identity. That's what he does at the very top. The God-given identity begins with himself. What did he say? He said, in verse one, he said, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, and he's talking about who he is. He's reinforcing, I know who I am. So who was Jude? Brother of James. James also wrote a letter in the Bible. So James and Jude, who wrote in the Bible, they were brothers. Who else was their brother? They had a half-brother. You wanna know who his half-brother was? Well, let me give you a clue. James and Jude had a mother named Mary. James and Jude had a father named Joseph. Yeah, Christmas, Mary and Joseph. So if you thought that, that Mary and Joseph never ever had other kids, you got something else coming to you. They had four kids other than Jesus. Jesus, his father, was not Joseph. Jesus' father was God himself. You say, that sounds crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> but again, it, crazy things happen when God shows himself to us and he did what only God could do. God showed up in a way that only he can, never to be repeated ever again. Jesus was the son, is the son of God. James and Jude grew up with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Jude grew up looking at sinless brother. I don't even know what that is. <clears throat> I don't know what a sinless brother is. I'm certainly not a sinless brother. 
but they grew up with sinless Jesus as a brother. Still, though Jesus never sinned, even in his youth, even during hormones, Jesus never ever sinned, ever, not once. Even growing up with that brother, they still had a hard time buying the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. That's a hard thing to swallow. Matthew 13, 55 shows who James, uh, Jude is. They saw Jesus doing all the miracles. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Judas is a, a longer way of calling him Jude. Same, same name. Mark 3.21, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So here you see Jude and the brothers going to grab Jesus, saying, dude, you're going too far. You need to be committed calling yourself God. You're gonna get yourself killed. He's, he's lost it. That's where Jude was. That's where James was. The brothers of Jesus thought he had gone crazy. Because you see, he didn't fully come out with his divinity, though he always was divine, he didn't fully come out until his public ministry. And so they thought he had lost his mind, claiming that he was, he was God. They're like, I know you're an awesome brother, I know you've never sinned, but come on, man, you're taking it too far. Yet something happened. So what am I saying? I'm saying James and Jude, the brothers, half-brothers of Jesus, they didn't believe he was the Messiah until they saw him publicly crucified they saw their mother's heart broken, and then they saw something that nobody could have seen coming. They saw Christ risen. Did you know that when Jesus rose from the grave, like hundreds of people saw him risen? The very same people that saw him crucified. The very same people that saw him, crucifixion was so public, and James and Jude. Jude saw him crucified. Jude thought he had died. Jude probably saw him being put in the tomb and when he saw him raised again, he said, everything you said about yourself is true. To the point that in Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers. So here you see Jude is a true believer now. He's in the, he's in the room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down. He's seen Jesus raised from the grave. He's seen him teach and eat and share as a risen Lord. And now he's all in and he gives us this letter. This is the unknown brother of Jesus. We don't know anything about this guy. We don't hear a lot about it. There's not a lot of refrigerator verses that come out of the book of Jude. And so we're gonna dive into this guy. I think it's incredibly powerful. Not only did he say who he is, he started talking about who you are. He said, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Let's just take those three things about who you are. You wanna win, you have to have a secure identity. You have to know who you are. One of the most dysfunctional things that may be a lid in your life is you're operating out of insecurity. You're chasing identity. You watch others and you just mimic what they do, but it's not you. If you know the story, you're putting on Saul's armor when God called you to sling a slingshot. Who are you? Who are we? What did he say? Three things. Number one, you are called. You know what that means? That means that God sought you. If you're called, that means that God pursued you. He pursued you. 
And he didn't just pursue you once. The Bible tells us clearly, he consistently pursues you over and over and over again and we keep running and we keep sinning and we keep falling and we ignore him, we act like he's not there and he keeps pursuing you and he keeps pursuing you. You're called. You didn't call God, God called you. Do you know that? You say, but I grew up in church, it was natural for me. Let me tell you something, there are a lot of people that grow up in church and they don't seek God. If you have a pulse for the Lord, it's because God chased you. It's because God found you. It's because God planted inside of you a faith that could be saved. And he gave, put you in a position that you could never put yourself in, a position for you to freely choose him. By the way, if you don't know it, that was some heavy duty theology I just laid on you right there. I did predestination, I did free will, I did all of it right there. Do you understand that? Like you can't choose him Without him helping, you choose you, choose him. We would run, that's our sin nature. It runs from the Lord. He called you. Number two, you are beloved. This is your identity. So if God chases me, man, that means he loves me. He seeks you, not out of anger. He seeks you out of love. That means if you're beloved, you're not alone. And you're not anonymous. You're not some anonymous soldier in the army of God. You're not one among the millions, unaffectionately produced. You know, you're not just among the masses on some assembly line. The Bible teaches that you are painstakingly produced. You are affectionately held. You are in the book of Ephesians. You are his poema. You are his masterpiece. He painted you and he crafted you and he loves you. You are his beloved. You are a treasure. I love my family. What would I do for my family? What would God do for you? I love my, my wife. What would I do for my wife? How do I feel about my wife? I feel about my wife in a way I don't feel about any others of you, and that's a good thing. <laughs> How does he feel about you? It's unmatched. It's unmatched. Could you remind yourself of this? It's unmatched how he loves you. His thoughts about you, the Bible says, outnumber the grains of sand. You been to a beach lately? I can't get the sand out of my shoes. The sand is in the suitcase, because there's so much sand, it's everywhere. Can you imagine counting it? His thoughts about you outnumber, that's not metaphor, that's real. That's real, he thinks about you that much. That's why I've said for years, I'm convinced he's the God that sits on the edge of your bed and waits for you to wake up in the morning. He seeks you, He's, he pursues you, and you know what? He loves you, and then guess what? He keeps you, he keeps you. You're called, you're beloved, and you're kept. You know what that means? You're secure. How much of our life is, is being fueled by insecurity, by a sense that it could all be gone tomorrow? How much of our life is, is fueled, and our relationships fueled by, they could leave me tomorrow, because I was left my family was left, so I'm gonna pursue in a way where they won't leave me, and that dysfunction. Maybe if we would understand you are kept, you are held, that God has you, that you don't have to worry. Now, I'm not promising you that all the circumstances in your world will all iron out, but there's something powerful in your own identity to know, to be, to be convinced 
and to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, man, God found me, he pursued me, he loves me, and he holds me. There's something to that. I can get through any storm if I know that I'm secure. I can get through any emotional storm if I know that I'm loved. And boy, it encourages me to know that God chases me. So no matter what they're saying about me, I know what he says about me. We need to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ, who we are, and you'll begin to win. Identity problems are one of the biggest problems we face. Men cheat on their wives because they don't know who they are. Women run away from their families because they don't know who they are. That's right, baby. <laughs> I got a little baby going, right. <laughs> I got a word for you. You, if you got married, young adult, you are no longer single. You're no longer single. You are no longer single. You are married. Start acting like you're married. Something's changed. Know who you are. I'm married now. I'm married. That means I'm not gonna play like I used to play because now I'm married. I have a wife. I have a husband. You got babies? You're a dad. You are a father. You are a husband. Stop running from that identity. Bear hug it. Bear hug it. You're in your 50s, you start hearing the clock tick, tick, tick. Come on now. I mean, I know I'm in my 30s, but I'm believing <laughs> that one day I'm gonna hear that. And you're starting to see, man, I've got some time, and you're going through a little identity crisis, and you're trying to grab as much life as you possibly can. Hey, you're in your 50s, you're in your prime, baby. You're about to be a grandparent. Be grandpa. By the way, choose your name. Can I just give you that? If you let a little baby that was talking to us a second ago, if you let that baby choose your name, you're gonna be fart fart or whatever. Please, greatest grandpa name I've ever heard is in this church, Duke. You think a kid chose that name? Uh-uh. That dude's like, I will be Duke from now on. You, you get that choice. When it's grandpa time, you get to redefine, you get to rename yourself. It's really cool. Anyway, be who you are. Be who you're called to be. Students, you are a Christ follower. So you wave the flag of faith as you walk through the hallways of your school. You wear the shirt that says Keystone Church and you wear it and you put your chest out and you say, Jesus saved me, Jesus, Jesus did all this for me. I can walk down the hallway of my school and know that some people are gonna look at me and they're gonna judge me and you walk down the hallway of your school with your head held high because Christ saved you. Because you're a Christian. You're saved? Stop, act, stop acting like you're lost. Stop mimicking the way the world celebrates and the way the world parties and the way the world consumes entertainment, the way the world consumes. You see, identity, if you don't know who you are, it'll mess you up. I'll give you a truth that I, I believe with all of my heart, theology drives identity. Theology, what does the word theology mean? That means the study of God, the knowledge of God. So let me land it a little bit easier, what you believe about God drives what you think about what yourself. 
That's why I've said for years, the most important thought you'll ever think is what you think about when you think of God. I got that from A.W. Tozer. The most important thought you'll ever think is what you think about when you think of God. Because if you understand how God loves you, then it will marinate in your soul to the point you'll understand how to love others. But if you do not receive the love of God, you will not be able to give godly love. If you've not yet understood just the depth of which you've been forgiven, then you will never be a forgiving person. Not like God would want you to be forgiven. You see, theology drives identity. So today, be encouraged. You have a lot to think about when you leave this place. And he's saying, full-fledged, think about me, remember me, and you'll start winning. In other words, stop looking at all the problems, stop looking at all the deficits, stop looking at all the minus signs, and turn your face to Christ. Turn your face to God and start marinating. You say, but Brandon, I'm facing bankruptcy. Turn your face to God. And I'm not saying ignore your problems, I'm not saying ignore it, I'm just saying turn your face to God and you might be surprised what fills up your soul. Identity drives theology. You wanna win, that's how you do it. Another, another, what we see, he said, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is gonna help you win right here. That you gotta receive his blessings when he downloads them on, him, on you. Receive his blessings multiplied because you're really gonna need it. You're really gonna need it. I find this so interesting, right before we get some tough medicine through the bulk of the book of Jude, he blesses them. He blesses them. I want it to be multiplied to you. What does he want to be multiplied? He wants mercy to be multiplied. Mercy, you know what mercy is? Mercy is avoiding what you deserve. Better said, not avoiding. Mercy is being spared what you deserve. Now mercy and grace are different. A little bit the same, but grace takes it a step further. Mercy is I've been spared what I deserve, so I've been pulled over for speeding. I was speeding. When the officer comes and asks you about it, you don't lie, I was speeding. I mean, where are you going? Nowhere really, I mean, I'm just going home. I have no excuse. You're just going full George Costanza. Here I am, I got no excuse, I was speeding, and the officer says, hey, I'm just gonna give you a little warning today. Mercy! You deserve the ticket, the officer gave you mercy. You know what grace is? Grace is, the officer turns around and says, you know how much that ticket would have been? I'm gonna give you the money for that. I'm gonna spare you the ticket, I'm gonna give you some money. What? <laughs> but that's grace, it's crazy. Grace takes mercy a step further. I've been spared what I deserved, and then you turn around and bless me. You give me what I did not earn or deserve. You give me. So, it was enough for me to be spared hell. And I've, I've said that, I believe this with all my heart. It's enough, God, for you to go to the cross and save me from an eternity separated from you. Is anybody right there with me? Like, thank you, God, that I get to avoid an eternity separated from you, that I get to experience an eternity with you, thank you God that because of Christ on the cross I get to go to heaven when I die, that's enough. And then what does he say? I came that you'd have life and life abundantly. He then wants to bless you, he wants to give you more, he wants to fill you with his spirit, he wants to re reintroduce you to the person he always knew you could be before sin broke it all. Grace, grace. 
Salvation is grace. Not only are you being spared eternity separated, but salvation is I, I now have a new life. I'm alive, I'm reborn, I'm new. So he says, may that kind of mercy be, be multiplied to you. And then peace. I wanna multiply peace for you because you're gonna need peace to get you over some bumpy roads. How many of you, your peace is only built on perfect circumstances? You, have, you sleep like a baby when there's money in the bank. You sleep like a baby when everybody's getting along. Your peace is circumstantial. God says, I wanna give you a peace that can, like, they're awesome shocks as you're off-roading. Like, you're just smooth as butter as you're off-roading, because we all have rocky roads. We're not promising today the absence of suffering. We're promising today a God who will give you peace in the midst of suffering. There are those in this room right now, you've had some of the, the hardest days of your life, and we've surrounded you and we've prayed for you, and you have received peace through unimaginable suffering. And then he goes further and he says, not only peace, may peace, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I want love to be multiplied to you. I want you to know over and over and over again how I love you. And I want you to know that the way that I respond to you and the way that I talk to you, it's out of love. And may you multiply love in your relationships. This is powerful, encouraging stuff. And, and he's saying, if you'll wrap your mind around your identity and you'll be able to receive blessings, you'll start winning. Now, what's the point of receiving blessings? Well, some of us are really bad at receiving gifts. And it comes from a place, I believe, maybe of pure intention, possibly, but it's really false humility that won't receive a gift. It's, it's a sense of, it's almost a weird pride, I'm not gonna do that. And what, what God is saying here is, I'm gonna lay down some gifts on you, and I want you to receive them. And I'm not just gonna give you enough gift that's appropriate to you, I'm gonna blow your mind. I'm gonna multiply gifts to you. I'm gonna multiply peace to you. I'm gonna multiply power to you. I'm gonna multiply uh, presence to you. I'm gonna multiply mercy on you. I'm gonna multiply my love to you. And you're gonna receive all of this and it's gonna be hard to receive at times because I'm just blessing you so much. Really, you've done enough. No. And I just tend to believe in my life that as I look at God blessing me, often he is preparing me for a season where I'm gonna really need those blessings. So you're actually shortchanging God's economy when you say no, or I'll only, I'll only believe a little bit of what you say, when you really need all that he's bringing you to get you through this life. Anybody know that life is hard? Anybody know that it's tough? Listen, God wants to bless you and sometimes you're gonna need to draw on those blessings to get you through a season in the valley. So don't reject the blessings of God. And if blessings come through the gifts from other people, I'm a big fan of just saying, man, God is really blessing me through you right now. Now I'm not talking about being a taker. I'm just saying when God's really tangibly, obviously blessing you. And I'm not saying you need to receive every single gift that comes to you, use discernment. But I am saying this, when God is clearly, tangibly, obviously blessing you, receive it, because you're gonna need it. When you understand that, you're in a position to win. And then finally, verse three, contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Contend, 
You know what that word means? Fight. 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 What is, the, what is Jude telling us? Some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth fighting for. Now, when I talk about fighting here standing in church, understand I'm a preacher's kid and I am done with church fights. Anybody grew up with some church fights? Okay. We don't do that here. Um, any great church that I've ever seen that's reaching a lot of people for Jesus, that people are getting freed of addiction and people, their lids are just popping right off and they're walking in God and they're growing in their faith and their family is flourishing, they're not in a church that's fighting. Churches that fight, the mission stops. Okay, so when I talk about contend for the faith, we're not talking about fighting in church. Fighting over the color of the chairs, fighting over the sound of the music, fighting over the preacher, don't like his boots, all of a sudden, why is he wearing boots all the time? All that kind of stuff. I hear you, Laura. <laughs> and it's just silly stuff that churches fight about, and, and that's why we're closing doors on some, some churches that used to have vibrant ministries. They just stopped, because they started fighting. Jesus said, may they be one as you and I are one, that the world may know that that you sent me, there's power in our unity. So we're not talking about fighting and bickering in church over silly, stupid stuff. And I'm also not talking when it says contend for the faith that you're yelling and angry and you hate lost people. Like you're fighting against the world, you're fighting against lost people, you're fighting against people that disagree with you and you come at them with an angry face because that face is betraying the way you feel in your heart. What does scripture say? The Bible says, hey, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the principalities and the powers of darkness. So we talk about contempt for the faith. He's not saying fight in church and he's not saying fight against the lost like we hate them. Angry Christians, grumpy, judgy Christians. But he is saying there, is, there are some things that are worth fighting for. And particularly, he's saying we need to fight to uphold that the Bible is our truth. That's worth fighting for. That's worth fighting for. That's worth believing. That's worth drawing, what, when you say fighting, it's drawing a line in the sand, saying this is a line we will not cross. Today we live in a culture that wants to woo us over the line or deceive us into erasing the line. But there are some things according to the word of God, they're a line. I remember reading a book by a popular Christian author and he was all the rage and he was speaking at all the conferences and, and he wrote a book and he began to talk about, you know, I don't know that the virginity of Mary is all that big of a deal. I don't know that we have to believe in the virgin birth. I don't know that we have to believe that. Is your faith so weak that you have to believe in the virgin birth? And I'm like, yeah, I believe in the virgin birth. That's a line because it's key to the divinity of Christ. That dude is no longer in a church, he's left the faith, and when he wrote those words, he had left the faith. But he was taking a lot of Christians with him. That's a line. No, we believe in, here's, a, here's another line. I believe every word in this book. I believe every word in this book, that's a line. That's a line. There's a, there's a lot of stuff like that. So we say fight, we're not talking about fighting in your faith, we're talking about fighting for your faith. Fighting against people with no faith. We're saying you need to fight. There needs to be a father 
in this room who's gonna stay up and wait on their daughter to come home from the date. And you're gonna stay up and you gotta get up early and you're gonna stay up and you're gonna wait for that daughter to come home from that date. You wanna know why? Because you are a protector of your home and you're fighting for your daughter. There needs to be a woman who's gonna fight for her husband's respect in the home. I'm fighting for my marriage. You're fighting for the, for the affection in your marriage, so you're gonna take some time together. There's gotta be, I'm talking about us understanding that there's some things that are absolutely, completely worth fighting for, where we say, you're worth it, and I'm telling you, I'm gonna take some bullets to protect you. I'm gonna take some bullets to help you. There's some things they're just worth fighting for. And by fighting, I mean, I'm gonna hold my ground. By fighting, I mean, I'm gonna strategize on how to advance God's flourishing in your life. By fighting, it means I've got a rebellious child and I refuse to let you go and drive off with those friends one more time. By fighting, it means you as a husband and a wife are on your knees on that bed until that kid comes home from their rebellion. Every night on your knees, when you're praying, you're fighting. I'm fighting for the intimacy in my home. I'm fighting that my home would be a spirit-filled church. So that means when you get in this house, you worship and your kids see you worshiping, not out of hypocrisy, out of a passion. Fighting for your kids means that you go and you say, I'm sorry, and everything in your pride doesn't want you to do it, but you're fighting for your intimacy with your kids, and so I'm gonna be honest, I blew it. Your dad never talked to you that way. You didn't grow up like that, but you're fighting for your home. You're fighting for your kids. I'm fighting for it. Some things are worth fighting for. I'm fighting to be excellent at work because laziness is a gravitational pull and I've, I've started strong and now I'm starting to lose some steam and I'm getting tired and the demands are growing and you gotta fight to show up every day your best. Anybody? You gotta fight for it. Some things are absolutely worth fighting for. And reading your Bible one more time, it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. You see, some things are worth fighting for, but I'm convinced that we make peace where there should be war, and we make war where there should be peace. We've made peace with all these things that really we should be saying, oh no, We've let down our guard where we need to be vigilant. And that's what Judah's talking about. You guys have made peace with the wrong things. You've made peace with the world and you're at war with God. You need to make peace with God. You need to go to war against sin and brokenness and the principalities and the powers of darkness. Today, that's my prayer for us, that we would go to war on the things that matter and we make peace with God as we launch into this series. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that as we would walk out of here, I pray we'd examine our own lives and really ask ourselves, are, have we made peace with you? Or are we warring against what you say about alcohol? Am I battling against what you say about sex? Are people bigger to me than the word of God? then I'm at war with you, God, and I don't wanna be at war anymore. I wanna make peace. Father, I pray that there would be some people in here that would finally understand that you love them so much. 
and you see who they are, I pray that we would begin to see ourselves as you see us and live out of that truth. Now, God, I pray that this church would walk out of here blessed upon blessed upon blessed upon blessed. I pray for financial breakthrough in this house. I pray for career breakthrough in this house, claiming it, believing it in this room. I pray for relationship breakthrough. There's a couple that needs relational healing. I pray for breakthrough right now. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Anchored in who you are, contending for the faith. Pray blessing. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here today, they're not here to build their faith, they're here to find their faith. Father, I pray that you would initiate saving faith in this house right now, that we would be able to say yes to you. If there's anybody here today, online, in the room, that today's the first day, knowing that Jesus died for us, I pray God, knowing that he conquered death for us, I pray God we would say yes and let somebody know so we could begin the great journey of building the faith that started today. We love you. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.